Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash RCP. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS. Welcome to this peer voice activity on type 2 diabetes. This activity comprises a series of five streaming episodes with Professor Melanie Davies. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I'm Melanie Davies from the University Hospitals of Leicester and University of Leicester in the UK. Welcome to this first introductory episode on the initiation of basal insulin in people living with type 2 diabetes. The purpose of this first introductory episode is to quickly review the guideline recommendations related uh, to basal insulin and the various uh, available options. So firstly, it's really important that we start at the beginning and remind ourselves that the person living with the diabetes is at the centre of all that we do and that our goal um, and aims of treatment are to try and prevent complications and to optimise quality of life. And uh, there is a decision cycle which helps us to do this by making sure that we um, engage with people living with diabetes and create a decision uh, making plan to create a management plan to agree and implement that management plan. Also, it's really important that we have a holistic approach to type 2 diabetes management. And that means that we should focus on glucose lowering but also on weight management, cardiovascular risk protection, and also the use of therapies that particularly confer cardiorenal protection. When it comes to glycemic management, we now know that we have a number of different therapies that offer different efficacy for glucose lowering, and insulin remains as an important part of that armamentarium. So insulin is a cornerstone for the management of type 2 diabetes, and approximately 500 million people in, uh, have diabetes worldwide, and this is rising, so it will be over 780 million by 2045. And up to 40% of people with diabetes need insulin therapy, and many people living with type 2 diabetes may eventually require therapy with insulin. Before we consider insulin, we usually uh, use a GLP-1 uh, therapy. But when it, the time comes to initiate insulin, we need to start with basal insulin. We need to intensify and titrate up the dose in a timely manner to make sure that we reach the individualized target uh, for each individual. When insulin is initiated, we should be uh, try, if possible, to continue other glucose-lowering medications that offer uh, cardiorenal protection. And it's really important to offer structured self-management when we initiate or advance uh, insulin therapy. And there's a clear algorithm in the ADA ESD consensus report that helps us to talk about the initiation of basal insulin, uh, the starting dose, uh, the titration, and how we may need to, in some patients to intensify insulin therapy. Now, we should remind ourselves that the advantage of insulin is that it's able to lower glucose in a dose-dependent manner, and it's able to address any level of glycemia. 
Uh, it has very high uh, to high glycemic efficacy. There is an increased risk of hypoglycemia and weight gain, but we can mitigate that um, often with the use, for example, of basal insulin regimes, which offer a lower risk of hypoglycemia and weight gain. Uh, efficacy and safety are largely dependent on the education and support to facilitate self-management of insulin. And it's really important to match insulin to physiological need. And increasingly, we've been uh, innovating in insulin therapy so that we uh, try and develop insulins that can offer a good glucose lowering with a low rate of hypoglycemia and with flexibility uh, in order for people to adjust their insulin according to their lifestyle. And so if we look uh, in the past, present and future, for example, just in basal insulin uh, therapy, there's been huge in innovation from the uh, NPH insulin that's been used decades ago to the first generation of insulin uh, analogs, basal insulin analogs, now to ultra long acting analogs that can be administered daily. And then in the future to a weekly administration of basal insulin. So thank you very much for your attention and please stay tuned uh, for the next episode. Thank you. Hello, I'm Melanie Davies from the University Hospitals of Leicester NHS Trust and the University of Leicester in the United Kingdom. Welcome to this second episode on injection burden when initiating insulin. So let's start with uh, thinking about uh, a case. Uh, so this is Marie who uh, has type 2 diabetes. She's aged 55. She was diagnosed five years ago and she's currently on metformin and an oral uh, SGLT2 inhibitor, empiphaglozin. She's been offered a GLP-1, but sadly she was unable to tolerate GLP-1 therapy. And Marie's doctor has been recommending uh, insulin therapy over the last 12 months, but she's been uh, reluctant. And now her condition and her, uh, is worsening and her HbA1c is rising. So if we look in a little bit more detail, um, uh, Marie is overweight. So she has a BMI just under 30 at 29.8. Her A1c is too high. Um, it's 8.6%, although she has good renal function and she's starting to develop symptoms of hyperglycemia. She's feeling fatigued and she has polyuria and polydipsia. So in this situation, we go back to putting Marie right in the center of her care. And we have to talk through with her some of the factors that impact on her choice of treatment. She may be very reluctant to start insulin therapy because she may have concerns or worries that she she's heard about. Some of these may be uh, myths and may not actually be true, but it's really important that we listen to her concerns and go through some of the, the, the things that we need to take into consideration. So we need to hear about her priorities. Um, we want to, for example, take into account her HbA1c. Uh, we need to think about her concerns, for, for example, around the side effects of medications and also the complexity of the regime that we may be uh, recommending to her and also access um, to uh, various treatments. And having taken that into account, we need to then formulate through a shared decision-making process, a plan um, that we can implement together with her. 
Now, when we listen to the voice of people living with diabetes, we often hear uh, major concerns about insulin. So people may have family members that may have gone on to insulin and uh, they may be concerned about complications. Um, they may have heard that insulin causes weight gain um, and they're concerned perhaps about the needle and the injection but also sometimes people are concerned about the injections. They think it's awkward. They think it's a hassle um, and the convenience of treatment may be um, uh, something that is an, an issue. And when we think about the choice of insulin regime, we have to take all of these factors into consideration, people's lifestyle, whether they have a special needs, whether uh, weight's an issue and also the number of injections um, and the perceived complexity of injections. And the injection burden is seen as a barrier to insulin. Um, about a third of people, um, once they start on insulin, don't take their insulin regularly. Um, many people would like to have good, uh, good, good control without insulin injections. And the number of uh, injections of insulin are often seen as a difficulty. So we know that less uh, frequent dosing could improve um, adherence to treatment. And uh, trying to uh, simplify regimes does have a good evidence base. So, for example, if you look at the GLP-1s and we look at daily GLP-1s compared to weekly GLP-1s, uh, people find it easier to adhere to their uh, reg regime if they're injecting less frequently. Um, and we know that that may be more convenient. It may offer uh, improved health-related quality of life, and it's less overwhelming for people if there are uh, simpler regimens. So this is something that we've been looking at in terms of basal insulin innovation. We've moved from the twice-daily regimes now to daily insulin regimes, which are associated with less weight gain and hypoglycemia. And in the future, we're moving even to weekly uh, insulin regimes, which may offer advantages. So thank you for your attention and please stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you. Hello, I'm Melanie Davies from the University Hospitals of Leicester NHS Trust and the University of Leicester in the United Kingdom. And welcome to this third episode, which is on simplifying dosing schedules uh, with basal insulin. So we know that the initiation of insulin is often, uh, sadly, often delayed. And this delay can lead to an increased risk um, in diabetes related complications. And in a study of over 3,000 people uh, who, with type 2 diabetes who weren't on basal insulin, about a third declined uh, insulin treatment um, and only about a third of those decliners eventually started insulin. And there was a long delay uh, to people being initiated on basal insulin. And this is really important because clinical inertia or the failure to intensify treatment when it's uh, required is uh, a major problem that um, is affecting healthcare systems across the world. It's a multifaceted problem and it can lead to poor outcomes for people living with diabetes. And we know that this is a particular issue in insulin treatment. There have been many studies uh, that have shown that there are uh, weeks, if not years, delay before basal insulin is initiated. And it often isn't initiated until HbA1c's are at a really very high level. So what are the factors that lead to clinical inertia? 
Um, there are many factors. There are system factors. Um, there are factors in healthcare professionals. Um, and there are, fa are factors at the patient level around their beliefs about insulin, uh, their concerns about weight gain. But one of uh, the key factors is the complexity of the regime and the difficulties in titration of insulin. So one of the, th the really important practical things that we need to consider is how, as healthcare professionals, do we start insulin and what advice do we do about the starting dose um, and the titration of insulin? So there have been many uh, studies that have looked at this, and there is a very sort of simple approach to the initiation of insulin, which is that you start at a fixed dose of perhaps eight or 10 units of basal insulin and titrate up. There have been other studies which have actually calculated uh, the dose of insulin that may be required, looking at the fasting glucose and looking at the patient's BMI. And actually, if you do that in a more scientific way, the calculated dose can range from around two units up to nearly 80 units. And it is important that we communicate this to people living with diabetes, because if you are a person that has a higher BMI and a higher blood glucose level, and you may well need 60 or 70 units of insulin, if you start that person on 10 units, it may take them months and months to get up to that dose. So it's really important that we explain to people that it's insulin, uh, the dose can vary and that different people need different amounts and also giving advice about the titration. So the starting of insulin is only the beginning. It's that titration that's so important. And there have been studies looking at this. Um, for example, a study called Atlantis looked at a, a very patient-driven uh, patient titration to a very doctor-driven uh, titration. And actually, we underestimate people living with diabetes. They were able to titrate, titrate their insulin just as well, uh, if not better than the physician-directed titration. And they were able to get just as good, uh, if not slightly better, HbA1c levels. It does, as I've said, take a reasonable dose of basal insulin to get patients to target, and that can vary. And so it's very important uh, that we think about that final dose that we need to get to when we're initiating insulin. And using things like group starts can be really important and also um, uh, support to patients as they titrate their basal insulin. For example, if we look at some of the studies uh, with some of the new uh, basal insulins that are administered weekly, uh, we can give very simple dose titration algorithms to help people and physicians uh, to achieve that titration. So thank you for your attention and please stay tuned for the next episode. Hello, I'm Melanie Davies from the University Hospitals of Leicester NHS Trust and the University of Leicester in the United Kingdom. And welcome to this fourth episode of this series. Um, and this time we're going to focus on avoiding fears of hypoglycemia when initiating uh, insulin. So we know that initiation of insulin is often delayed um, and that uh, it's often um, delayed when HbA1c levels are quite high. And so if we go back to Marie, who's um, a hypothetical case of a person living with type 2 diabetes, who's had uh, type 2 diabetes for five years. She's worried about going on to insulin um, and how the impact that's going to have on her daily life. 
Uh, she's reasonably active. She walks her dogs. She often looks after her grandchildren. And she's worried uh, about hypoglycemia. And she may ask you as a physician what your concerns are about hypoglycemia. And actually, this is one of the main barriers. And if we look at um, uh, people's perception of insulin, that often uh, there is a fear of hypoglycemia, but actually the fear of hypoglycemia is sometimes greater in the physicians than it is uh, in patients themselves. And fear of hypoglycemia can be one of the barriers to treatment success, both uh, in terms of people living with diabetes and the healthcare providers that look after them. So we know that, for example, physicians, if they had that they feel better tools that are able to get patients to target more effectively without a risk of hypoglycemia, they would be more aggressive and, and treat more proactively uh, people living with diabetes. So education is required both for patients uh, to reassure them about how they can reduce the risk of hypoglycemia, but also for physicians. So we know that hypoglycemia can impact on health-related quality of life. It can impact on people's employment, on driving, their leisure activities, their emotion, travel and sleep. And it can be um, a concern. And we know that in studies of people living with type 2 diabetes, um, and for example, in one study of over half a million subjects, that um, mild to moderate hypoglycemia was relatively high, about 45% of people living with type 2 diabetes experience this. Um, and even severe hypoglycemia can be um, an issue. So it's really important that as we innovate in insulin therapy, that we have treatments that are convenient to use, that get people to target, but also um, we have the lowest risk that we can uh, of hypoglycemia. And particularly, I think, with basal insulin, um, this is important. And this is something that's being investigated, uh, for example, in, in some of the phase three programs, uh, the onwards program, which is looking at a new uh, weekly uh, administered basal insulin. So uh, if we can if we can develop weekly insulins that uh, reduces the burden of injections for patients from um, you know around daily injections 365 times a year to just 52 times a year, it can help facilitate insulin initiation and improve adherence and persistence. And we may be able to do that with um, a comparable glucose lowering efficacy and low rates of hypoglycemia. Thank you for your attention and please stay tuned for the next episode. Hello, I'm Melanie Davies from University Hospitals of Leicester and University of Leicester in the UK. And welcome to this fifth episode in this series, which is entitled Tackling Stigma in Relation to Insulin Initiation. And this is a really, really important factor. And it's one of the main barriers um, uh, often that we see in clinical practice. So let's go back to Marie, who's our hypothetical case. So she's 55 years of age. She's had diabetes for five years and she feels that she's failed. And, and often uh, many people living with diabetes feel a huge amount of stigma, they feel a lot of guilt, and they feel like uh, they can be failures. And it's really, um, we have a major responsibility uh, in helping uh, people with these feelings. And so 
If you look at some of the patient reported barriers to initiating insulin and some of the quotes uh, that people uh, say, things like, if I have to take insulin, I haven't looked after myself, it's the last option. And often uh, insulin may be used as a threat. Often people feel a huge amount of shame and guilt about their diabetes. And we have a real responsibility uh, to help people uh, to um, get through this and be really positive about what they can do and what we can do together to help improve the management of their diabetes. And if we look at um, people's reluctance to start insulin, there's uh, many barriers and many things that contribute to this. One is people's fear of needles, but it equally as important is this feeling of personal failure. Um, there may be other practical things that people consider, which is interfering with their lifestyle, uh, fear of hypoglycemia and the, and the potential side effects of insulin. Um, but this fear of a feeling of personal failure is very is one of these really important factors which we need to address. So if we go back to the ADA ESD consensus and we talk about this holistic person-centered approach where we put the person living with diabetes right in the center of everything we do. Uh, we think about um, the uh, goal to try and optimize their quality of life. And in the middle of all of this are the principles of care. And, and it's really important to pick out some of those uh, principles of care. And one of them is around language matters. And the communication between us as healthcare providers and people living with type 2 diabetes is absolutely at the core of integrated care. We have to be very cognizant and be very aware of how the language we use can really impact on the person living with diabetes. And we have a responsibility to make sure that the language we use should be neutral. It should be free of stigma. It should be uh, based on facts and it should be strength based. And what do I mean by that? We should focus on on the positives, what's working, what's going well. We should be ref respectful of the person living with diabetes, non-judgmental. Uh, we should be inclusive and we should encourage collaboration and be very person centered. We're on a journey together with the person living with diabetes. So we shouldn't use terms such as diabetic or non-compliant or judgmental terms and blame uh, people for their health condition. We know that there are a number of things that uh, we can now offer people living with diabetes, particularly in the future, which can help um, make that journey to insulin therapy a little bit easier. So we've talked about, for example, the prospect of weekly insulin regimes, which can uh, reduce the ejection burden and make it easier and more convenient for people living with type 2 diabetes. And we can do that with comparable safety and efficacy. So thank you very much for your attention. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.